Hello, you're listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. We're at the wonderful podcast studio of Story 94 here in Oxford. The only in Oxfordshire. If you've not seen it, please, please, please get in touch with them and come and have a look. It's a great space. Today, I'm so delighted to be joined by Sabina North of Be Free Young Carers. Sabina is somebody that um, I've got to know over the last few months um, and so inspiring in terms of what she does, but also the charity. So welcome, Sabina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thanks so much for joining us. So let's jump straight in. To those listening um, who don't know you, tell them all about you and indeed the charity. Okay, so Sabina from Be Free Young Carers. I am the CEO at Be Free and I took over the CEO role back in um, February last year. Um, Before that, I was the fundraiser and the sole fundraiser at Be Free, which was a really hard job because I started just after lockdown. So I opened my laptop up and I hadn't met any of my team for over a year. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite insightful there. Before that, I left a career in wealth management. I was in wealth management and private banking for 22 years and I needed a change. I'd been doing that role in finance for such a long time. So I looked around at the third sector um, after doing some fundraising for another charity. I thought, yeah, I can do this. So yeah, and the rest is history. Oh, amazing. What, what what a story. So let's go in reverse order, if that's okay. So what does your current role entail? And I think for, for those listening, I think it's always quite fascinating as I think we can can presume what happened behind closed doors with a charity. But what, what do you really do day to day? What what does your role look like? Oh, All the many hats you wear. <laughs> so, um, so we are a small charity. We've got eight members of staff and we're expanding, we're in the process of expanding at the moment. But my role as CEO, and I'm sure my colleagues in small charities at CEO will agree with me, it's hugely varied. I can go from hoovering the office because we don't have a cleaner to, you know, meeting members of the royal family and it's wow. and everything else in between. A typical day is I'm trying to get into really good habits of answering emails at the beginning and end of day and not really being distracted by anything in between. But it can be liaising with the county council on their young carers strategy. It can be attending any activities that we put on for our young carers. It can be doing things like this. There's a huge amount of my time that is taken up with operational side of things. We don't have an HR department. We don't have a legal team. We don't have anything like that. So the CEO normally has to do absolutely everything. So... It's a really varied job, but yeah, really fulfilling. No, I can imagine. And one thing that I realised that um, my fault that we didn't really build on um, too much at the start is is the amazing work that you do at Be Free Young Carers. Can you just give a snapshot of of some of the work that you do and and really, I guess, kind of the challenges that you're helping um, across Oxfordshire? Yeah, we're in the unique position that we are the only charity that specifically supports young carers in Oxfordshire. We do that by offering a range of services. So we offer respite activities in the school holidays to our young carers. We offer um, one-to-one emotional support, which our youth workers go out to school to deliver to the young carers. We also offer counselling. So we know that mental health is at an all-time low at the moment. So it's something we've developed with um, one of our in-house counsellors. We also offer mindfulness movement, which is where we go to primary schools and we teach them well-being techniques. It's a very preventative measure to make sure young carers' mental health are, are kept in check. We also offer a befriending service, which is where 
we train up volunteers to become befrienders and then they are matched with a young carer and they give them a respite every week. So it may be just taking them down the park to kick a football for around for an hour. And we do that. And we also have our 13 plus group, which is we found teenagers that were quite disengaged with the charity. So we handed everything over to them and said, what do you want us to do? And they put together a programme. They meet every month and we do some respite with them. We do some work workshops um, and that's a really big success and it's growing. I suppose for me the charity is really unique because we're independent so we do not receive any funding from the council or any statutory services there and we're filling in the gap so fundraising is really really important and when you give to a charity our size you know that your your money goes a lot further and we make sure we, we work you know make sure it works really hard for our young carers. But our age range goes from age eight up to age 17 and we have two provisions one for the primary school children and one for secondary school children so we run them all we've got four youth workers that deliver the services uh befriender coordinator and in our office we've got social media manager who works remotely we've got fundraiser that works remotely and we've got another fundraiser that works in-house so it's quite a small team but no absolutely no thank you so much much for that insight one of the conversations we've had in the past, I was, I was really surprised that there are so many young carers across Oxfordshire and, and, and the challenges they might be facing. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about what it means to be a young carer? Yeah, absolutely. We, so a young carer is um, a child aged, or in particular a child aged over five that has a responsibility for caring either for a parent or mm. a sibling. Our young carers, we only can take them on at eight because of funding. We haven't got provision for the younger ones. I'll, I'll give you some examples. We have a young carer that's come to us and she was responsible for her mum. Mm. Um, her mum has severe mental health concerns and when her mum takes her medication she's fine and the young carer who's who's 11 she's responsible for taking for off giving her mum the medication and like I say when when she takes it it's absolutely fine. Um, she's got a younger sibling who is under the age of three that she also supports um, oh. and what happened was that the young carer forgot to give her mum the medication. That child was then faced with her mum going downhill and it resulted in a suicide attempt. Oh um, and the young carer was there holding her mum, dialing an ambulance. And then we're now dealing with the guilt that she feels from um, her mum nearly passing away because as she sees it, her actions or inaction to give her the medication. So it's a huge responsibility. Mm. And these young carers are having to do an amazing job, mm. but they're still having to go to school. A lot of them aren't the best dressed because they mm. do the ironing, the mm. cooking, the cleaning. So there's a huge bullying factor involved mm. in the schools. And they're doing such an amazing job and it's mm. it's hidden. It's hidden from society. And I think it is very much that we don't want to admit that we're letting children look after mm. their parents or other children. Mm. And it's it's really shameful, really. Mm. Um, but they do an amazing job and that's where we come into it. And our, our job in the office, we, we hear stories like this all the time. I could, you know, I could sit here for hours telling you examples of children doing a phenomenal job and things that they shouldn't be doing, like bathing their parents, mm. um, you know, and, and things like that. It just makes what we do so much more important. So when we've got, a, obviously, Easter holidays at the moment, we've got um, a trip to Harry Potter World today for our young carers. Oh, and it's something that they wouldn't necessarily have access to. Mm. 
so our motto in the office is where we can, we will. Mm. And we try and give them every opportunity that they wouldn't necessarily get without mm. us being there. Mm. So that's why it's really important to... No, absolutely. Do what we do. Yeah. No, absolutely inspiring as 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 you're talking there. Um, just just one of the things you, you touched on um a, a couple of moments ago was around that there's no provision from from the government or the council, and 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 off the back of that, there's no funding for what you're doing. You need to fundraise raise for that. I think it'd be really interesting for those listening just to understand, I guess, the dynamics behind the finances of a. Um, of a small local charity doing su- mm. such good work and and really kind of, um, I guess, the business side of things and, and, and the pressures connected to it in terms of what is the process, I guess, yeah. maybe looking at your first role with with the charity um, and, and your role now in terms of the pressure around you and, mm. and how does that look like and, and, and what are the implications of really generous people, but equally what are the implications mm. of, of, of COVID? Yeah, so... Like I say, I started in lockdown and then since we've had the pandemic, we've then had the cost of living crisis. So it's been one thing after another. What we've proved as a charity, we can survive. Like you say, we don't have any funding coming in, which most charities do. Most charities have contracts with the council where they're picking up the statutory services. If you dial through as a young carer to the council who are meant to support young carers, you get through to someone that... isn't able to provide you a provision because there isn't anything there. I'm doing really important work with the county council at the moment and helping them as they are preparing their unpaid carers strategy. Sadly, the young carers are only a small bit at the bottom of that. There is a really good advocate on the council that is trying to push for young carers, but not having a contract or anything like that in place really does put pressure on us. So it's 100% fundraising. So like any business, you should know what your income is going to be for the next year, next two years. We don't. We can only depend on funders giving us that and supporters giving us donations. So it is a really, really hard task not knowing what's coming in from one month to the next but because of what we do and the impact that we make we always manage to secure funding Um, it doesn't make it easier competitions increased the complexity of funding and applications Mm. is just ridiculous you get some funders and I'm going to give a big shout out to the National Lottery who really understand the work you do and they understand the pressures of bit fu- of fundraising and making the application process so simple and mm. for example cost of living crisis was having an impact on my staff personally and I was able to ring up because we had a grant with them and say is there anything you can do and they immediately gave us a 10% increase wow we have other funders and I'm not going to name them <laughs> <laughs> that ask for infinite details for such small amounts of money mm. and I Sometimes you've got to weigh up, is it worth Mm. the time, the staff time, the amount that they're asking in order to get, you know, the the small amount that they're offering. So that's that's quite difficult. And you're trying to keep a balance the whole time. Um, I'll just give you an example. One question I had as a fundraiser was on an application. If you were a animal as a charity, what animal would you be? I mean, that's got nothing to do with our services. It's got nothing to do with our impact or anything like that and it is is almost becoming a bit like a hunger games out there and Mm. one thing i i don't necessarily want us to be part of is where 
we are competing for entertainment purposes mm. against other charities, which that's becoming quite a popular mm. um, fundraising tool for funders at the moment, which I totally disagree with because mm. we do important work. There's hundreds of charities that do equally important work out mm. there, but where some funders try and put on make you compete against each other in an open forum by doing presentations and it's mm. and voting live so you mm. think oh gosh it's it's just really uncomfortable and awkward Absolutely. i don't think that's something that should be encouraged no no com- com- completely agree completely agree the thing i'm i'm keen to build a little bit more on ar- around this this topic is really around this cost of living crisis because i think that it was widely reported throughout covid I think the amazing work that Marcus Rashford did is a great example. Somebody with a great platform to to do real real good, and I think it was really to the general public. I think it was made really clear how many people do really struggle and how many children re- really struggle. What are you seeing from the cost of living crisis? And I know that you touched on a couple of moments ago in terms of your staff, um, which we're certainly seeing with my recruitment hat on. But what are you seeing in terms of the young carers, and then in terms of your staff in the middle, which you've touched on a little bit, but then I guess like the other tier in terms of businesses who may previously been able to support, maybe not doing so, being able to do as much. Part of my role, I'm also on the Oxfordshire Children's and Safeguarding Board as a member there. So I go to all their meetings. So I'm more than aware of what our young carers are facing with the cost of living crisis, but also what children in Oxfordshire. And it is toe-curling what children are having to go through. What we've seen personally is we've seen comments from young carers taking lunchboxes to school because they don't automatically get the free school meals, but they also don't have food at home, so they're taking empty lunchboxes to school. We've seen that. We've seen people not coming to our trips because... It's over a lunchtime and they, they haven't got a packed lunch or anything like that to bring. So thankfully, we've secured money from Oxfordshire Community Foundation so that at every interaction with young carers, we provide them with a meal. You know, our, our youth workers are really good at getting food down our young carers. So as long as we know, because they happen in the school holidays mm. when the school provision isn't there, it means that we know that they're being fed and at least they're getting, you know, one meal a day from, from us. Um, is it something we should do? Absolutely not. <laughs> It, is, it should be, you know, a statutory thing that children shouldn't be going hungry. But the situation is is hugely worse. The the pandemic has had such a huge impact on mm. children's mental health. We've seen it with the waiting lists for CAMs, everything like that. All the services are so stretched. Then with the cost of living crisis, us as a charity, we we've seen. We have to hire halls um, mm. for our activities and things like that. We're paying the council £75 for an hour's hall hire. Oh, and wow. it, it's it's absolutely crazy. We've seen huge increase in costs, like every business has. But this is also impacting our young carers. So what we try to do, whether it's the pandemic, cost of living crisis, we always try and provide something to soften that blow for them, really. So at Christmas, we did hampers. We did hot water bottles, fluffy socks. We did things that we think are practical things that our young carers could use if they haven't got the heating on. I mean, bear in mind, our young carers are looking after 
parents or siblings that could have medical conditions that need the heating on, that need electricity to be running for their monitors and and those type of provisions. So it's hitting the families drastically. When we realised that some of our young carers weren't coming because they can't provide transport, you know, they didn't have the food and they didn't, you know, there, there was the cost of living crisis was to blame for a lot of that. We, we were able to step in and, and support them there. But yeah, it's, it's really difficult. No, absolutely. And just coming on to, I guess, the next stage of that is, is really around what you're seeing in the local economy in terms of in terms of businesses and that support and how external factors are potentially impacting you. Um, I, I think I think you so, so rightly said that there's, you know, there, there's lots of charities who are doing great, great causes. But when, you know, something happens in Turkey, are you seeing that as having a, a, an impact on you on a local level? Yeah, there's always going to be something that will distract those people making donations to donate elsewhere, mm. um, whether it is the Ukraine appeal or whether it mm. is um, larger charities which have got huge marketing budgets mm. that they can um, raise their profile much more than we can. There's always going to be something mm. there. I've always been, whether it's been in business or with the charity, I've always tried to support local businesses and we have mm. the same for our charity. If you support a local charity, mm. your money is going to go into the community around you mm. um, and it's going to have a, a huge impact. Like I said before, it's going to go further. It's going to make that lasting impact on the communities that your your business is in. We've seen an upsurge in corporate partners, not necessarily wanting to raise funds. They will raise funds with us, but offering us their services which mm. has become in really handy like legal advice and such so it's it's always really good to get corporate partners on board mm. because our name against a large corporate partner does really raise our profile and mm. and brings in more more corporate partners and more mm. yeah people that are interested in our charity absolutely absolutely one of the things that always comes across when, when I'm talking to you, Sabina, is that you get business um, mm. and, and that you get the community and you really like to collaborate. So mm. I think what would be very interesting for those listening is is to talk a little bit about what collaborations look like. So if a business owner is listening now or if a corporate is listening now and thinking, do you know what, this has really resonated with me, how could they work with you and what, and what kind of things have you done previously? Oh, we've done so much. Um, <laughs> networking has really, really paid off for us. So we like to work with people that we know and that mm. have supported us. I get quite a lot of unsolicited emails saying we want to do a video for you. We can do this, this and that. We will always go with someone that we know and that someone has supported us. So, for example, we used Fortitude for our impact videos where they came out and they did a family fun day video for us. And that was really great. There's someone else that I met at a networking event and one of the tools we have to raise our profile is our accounts and accounts on you know black and white paper don't look that fancy but um and she's working on a document to bring our accounts to life to market them so that funders can see them and um hopefully invest more money with us we're looking at an animation um so with young carers they don't want to be put in a video and they don't want to sit there and explain what they do and tell their story because one their friends will see there's increased bullying there and two they they don't see it as any different to what they should be doing which is really sad because what they do is amazing so because of that we're looking to put an animation together to do a day in the life of young carer to try and get that message across i'm trying to think what other businesses we've used there's quite a lot that we have um, utilized out there as well so it's not just about fundraising i mean if we can get a team together to run the oxford half that's fantastic 
but we are also looking to give back to the local businesses around us. Mm, mm, absolutely. It's, um, I, I'm going to give a stat that is completely made up, um, but it was a really good stat. Um, I, I saw something the other day around um, every pound you spend locally, how many more times it's spent in the local community mm. than if you were to go and give a pound to Sky, for for example. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with Sky, just yeah. to be clear. Um, so uh, I think the bit that I'm quite keen to move on to now um, with my recruitment hat on mm-hmm. is, is the transition that you've made. Um, mm. so, so you had a really successful career within the financial sector. Mm. And as, as you touched on at the start, you, you made the decision to, to enter the world of charity. Uh, can you just talk me through, I guess, two parts to a question? Firstly, I guess, your thought process in deciding that you wanted to make the change. And then mm. I guess, secondly, I think it'd be really, really useful for, for somebody listening at home that might be considering doing the same themselves, really kind of the process and and the good, the bad and the ugly, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I can remember exactly where I made the decision. <laughs> I sat in um, my office and I'd done, done some fundraising for a different charity. My mum's got Huntington's disease and I did fundraising for that charity where I, I think I ran five marathons in 12 months and wow. um, raised a lot of money for them. And I, it was something I... I did outside of work and it really meant that I could make an impact and it sounds corny. I just wanted to do something where I I could make an impact for those Mm. that wouldn't necessarily be able to themselves. So I sat down and um, I had a look and I went to Google and Googled local charities. I love animals. I've got a house full of animals. <laughs> Working for an animal charity wouldn't do it for me. Mm. Um, I knew I'd had to work with children because they're the most vulnerable members of our society there and obviously don't have a voice for themselves. So I knew that that was an area. And I came across Be Free. Mm. I picked up the phone and I pitched myself over the phone of what I could do and um, yeah the rest is history I mean some people think that working for charity is a bit of an easy life they're a bit more relaxed but it's absolutely I've never worked so hard in my life (laughs) before Um, we you know in our office everyone has objectives to meet our organisational objectives and vision for the charity Um, and it filters all the way down through it's very much run like a business everyone knows what they should be doing and you know is accountable for for their work it is one of the most hardest jobs I've ever had but it's one of the most fulfilling and that's why Mm. I do it Mm. and it does sound very corny but it is really it's been life-changing yeah absolutely and I appreciate this as a podcast so you can't see Sabina's big (laughs) smile as she was talking there but but certainly yeah it's it's really clear that you love what you do and you're you're really passionate I think something that was said to me um, only a couple of days ago with a charity that um, I'm doing some recruitment for they said that the difference between the corporate world and the charity world is if you don't hit your target in the corporate world, you get told off. If you don't hit your target in the charity world, that's having a really tangible impact on somebody's life, yeah. um, which, which I think yeah. was a really nice way to sum it up. Um, and um, yes, it certainly resonated. Um, so we're coming towards the end of the podcast. And, and I think the, the thing that I would really like to touch on just before we finish is, is really your advice, because I think that you're a real, um, a, a real sponge of, of knowledge and advice. And, and I think the bit that I would really like to build on as a closing note is really speaking about charity broadly. And I think that so many people that I see through networking and so people, so many people that I know want to do good. And often it is, 
the first advert that comes on television, they give £2 a month to Oxfam or whatever. So I guess if somebody is listening now and wants to do some work with charity, what should they be considering and what should be the first thing they should do? Wow. Um, <laughs> Big question. <laughs> so you, you have to find something you're passionate about. Absolutely, you have to have an interest. So for Huntington's Disease Association, it was the personal connection with my mum and having that experience with my mum and how that's impacted my family made me run those marathons. I, you know... Uh, I couldn't have done that without having that motivation there. The same with Be Free. Every member of our staff, whether they're frontline or whether they're back office, will spend at least one day with a young carer and seeing the impact of our trips to make sure that they realise what the impact of their work is. Um, I guess my advice would be if you really do want to get involved, try volunteering. And it's not necessarily volunteering as in going to the charities HQ and, you know, fiddling around the gardens there or anything like that. It's actually businesses and employees have got a lot of talent that they could give to charity and utilise that. I mean, we at Be Free are always utilising people's skills to our advantage there. So it would be to try volunteering I, outside of my work, I volunteer, just become a trustee of another charity. So um, I'm looking um, on the fundraising trustee there. So it's all new to me there, but I'm volunteering my time there. I volunteer at a local running club. I'm a run leader there. Um, it's just to get involved with the community and, yeah, to, to give it a go. And then from that interaction, you can then maybe go on to fundraising. You can, you know, just see how you can help. But always ask them what they need. Don't go along assuming you think, right, I'm going to be doing this, this and this. It's always what the charity needs. At Be Free, with our corporates, we're very adamant that we don't have a fence to paint. We don't have a garden to tend. That we, If you're going to volunteer with us, this is what we need. So, yeah. Get involved, yeah. Perfect. And what a way to end the show. So, Sabina, thank you so much for your time and and for being so honest and and authentic with how you shared um, such such a great cause you represent. So thank you for that. You have been listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. I really enjoyed the last half an hour. So thank you um, again, Sabina. Um, Thank you as always to Story94 for hosting us and for creating this wonderful podcast at their podcast studio here in Oxford. I have said it before, but you should definitely go and visit. It is a really, really cool place. Thank you so much. 